Smut Report! Hello, and welcome back to the Smut Report podcast. Today, we're putting up our dukes and fighting over a Victorian romance and a medieval romance. Uh, was this the best plan? We don't know, but it was pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, let's do this. I'm Erin. I'm Holly. And I'm Ingrid. <laughs> And this time we are going to talk about A Kingdom of Dreams by Judith McNaught and The Duchess War by Courtney Milan. So let's get this started. As Holly pointed out, I was the one who recommended the Judith McNaught. And I, I have to say, I felt like I should have Judith McNaught accounted for in some way because she's written a lot of dukes and she is a heavy hitter in historical romance. But, you know, I didn't want to go with Whitney, my love. <laughs> So oh. so we have to see how uh, Kingdom of Dreams holds up. It's our only medieval in this entire competition. And I think it's also the only one. It was published in 1989. So it's the oldest book that we're talking about as well. She's a bodice ripper. Yep. Yep. It's definitely old school. It is. Yeah. Versus versus the woke. And <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, the other book we're talking about is Courtney Milan, which I believe Holly was the one who added to our list. But I had actually read that one before. I read both of these books before, but it was a long time ago. Like I probably read it short. I probably read The Duchess War shortly after it was released because that's when Holly was like, hey, this one's cool and different. They have bad sex. <laughs> I think this might have been one of the first of Holly's like bad sex explorations. <laughs> so, is that really what I said to you? I, you when were I like, recommended this book like ten years ago or whatever. You guys, those are not exactly your words, but it was more like she goes into it and she's like, uh, I mean, they have bad sex, and she's like, oh, I don't think it was supposed to go that way. <laughs> And I was like, really? You're like, yeah, it was really refreshing and different. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I mean, I believe that we had that conversation, <laughs> though I have no memory of it. But yes, I did choose the Duchess War, but didn't remember it very well. I just remembered that they had bad sex and that, and, and like I've read other books by Courtney Milan, so I expected he'd be kind of more on the woke Duke side of things. And... Oh, the other thing is on social media, when we asked for recommendations, uh, The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan was recommended a lot. And I had already decided I kind of wanted to do The Duchess War, but I stood by that decision because I have also read The Duke Who Didn't. And it is a very charming book, but he, the main character, I think his name is Jeremy. I don't remember, but he's not very dukey. He, oh. He's very sweet, but he's not a dukey duke. So I... We only do dukey duke. The we only do dukes. we're we're doing dookie dukes here. So I wasn't sure if, <laughs> I wasn't sure if Claremont was gonna like be able to hold his own and I really yeah. think he did, which we can argue about in a minute. But yeah, that was my very long explanation for my thought process of why Courtney Milan. And I had never read Kingdom of Dreams before. I had read Whitney My Love probably ten or fifteen years ago and was like, what is even happening? <laughs> And like that was my end of Judith McNaught exploration. So I actually, this is the first Courtney Milan I've ever read for me. <laughs> I, let's just say I get the hype. I get it. And I actually, as it turns out, discovered in like the last dramatic scene of the book that I have actually read this, I think more than once. So there was that. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very, very memorable ending scene. I had this strong scene. feeling of deja vu where I was like, 
I don't just remember reading this. I remember reading it and being like, oh, I've read this before. So clearly this is at least my <laughs> third time. But anyway, there were moments where I was like, this this like tracks. I feel like there's something familiar going on here. But you would be shocked how many older Scots versus English bride being abducted and run through the woods, scary, dark haired man type there are so you know it just took me a while but uh anyway I was going to say that I would appreciate for the sake of my brain having a quick moment to clarify because the names are too similar for me to process it's Claymore and Claremont Claremont is Duchess War Mm -hmm. yes right Claymore Claymore is Judith McNaught Mm -hmm. and we can remember this because Claymore, there a were Claymore a heck a of a lot. Sword. No, Aaron, why would I even remotely think that? Claymore, because <laughs> be there were a heck of a lot more pages in that book. <laughs> <laughs> and Claremont. The way you guys think sometimes baffles me. <laughs> well, I really don't know where you got sword from, but all right. Uh, so I think during our initial conversation, none of us mm-hmm. thought that any of the We've been using the term woke dukes, but the dukes with modern sensibilities, we didn't expect them to go very far. Mm -mm. And, Mm -mm. but I will say Holly texted us while she was reading, prepping for this. She was like, guys, I think Claremont might be unbeatable. And uh, that might be right. So yeah, I'm ready to to fight for that position. (laughs) I read the Duchess War first. So since the world resolves around me, let's start with that. All right. You you can can go go first, first, Ingrid. All right, good. I'm glad we all agree on that. So my one sentence summary for The Duchess War is lonely, isolated, and yearning for change meets and falls in love with a very unsuitable and frankly shocking young lady and romance ensues. That's my best. Best (laughs) sentence I've ever done. (laughs) It's so good that it it was like three in one. Anyway, okay. So, are we gonna let Aaron talk that (laughs) just right away, and I'll come in on cleanup duty? Question is, did she prep? Did you prep, Aaron? I didn't prep. Yes, Aaron goes next. Aaron goes next. Get ready for the world's longest run-on sentence. Let's do it. Actually, this one's pretty. Okay, we'll see what I do. (laughs) All right, let's go. I'm ready. The Duke of Claremont, having seen how terrible his father was. For his entire life, grew up seeking change and is now advocating for workers' rights and labor unions in the small town where Minerva Lane has been hiding, and she is delightfully irresistible. Oh, that's See the end. That? Okay. <laughs> we were waiting for like 15 more sentences mashed together, and you didn't, you really shocked us. I'm reasonably confident that when we do the McNaught, I will not have. The McNaught will be a hot mess, I am sure. Okay. So something right, to look Holly, forward to. Pull it together. She thinks on her feet. <clears throat> Let's hear it. Young woman with scandalous past who has been hiding for many years is finally seen. Oh, that's romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and it is interesting that Holly went from that direction because... I'm not going to get into it, but I'm just going to point this out because it's relevant right now. This is one of those books that has two very strong, well-developed characters individually. 
both of them had Mm -hmm. very, very well-developed plots and inner lives. And it was like combustion when they were put together. It was so well done. Anyway, carrying on. Kingdom of Dreams. All right, Holly, why don't you start us off then with Kingdom of Dreams since you finished it first. Okay. Uh, Kingdom of Dreams. Okay. Young woman is kidnapped by her enemy. Kind of gets the hots for him. But betrays his trust and then is forced to marry him. <laughs> and <laughs> they, I think, really want to love each other but have some serious trust issues to overcome. Yes, yes. Good. That's concise. That's true. All right, Aaron. Don't forget to leave any details out. Yeah, you gotta get it. <laughs> gotta, get it gotta get it off. This is a, a thousand page book. Let's get this, you know, come on. <laughs> It's not that bad. It was long, though. Okay. It's only like 400 pages, guys. It's not even that long. Sorry, go ahead. King Henry's loyal wolf has just defeated the Scots again. And a... Nope. No, you gotta keep going, Aaron. Just defeated the Scots again, and... and... Carry on. <laughs> so there's a lot of Scottish versus... English business happening in here. Plus, we gotta add in a little bit of that whole churchiness because they kidnapped these women off of a convent. <laughs> and then, oh, and I then. don't even know. And then, <laughs> comma, semicolon. Basically, <laughs> basically, I think what our takeaway is here is. Everyone has their own agenda. Nobody really wants to find out the truth. But when our characters finally talk to each other, they are able to build bridges amidst war and hatred until the betrayal. One. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. I 30% have it. All right. So... Scottish countess attempting to save her clan from destruction by the wolf agrees to marry a gross old geezer (laughs) (laughs) is promptly kidnapped by said wolf's brother and this unleashes a battle both between the Scots and the British and our two main characters who can't trust each other, don't communicate, but can't seem to keep their hands off each other. The end. That was a good one. That was a good one. Good way to close it. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Finish strong. I have to think about it. So I will say, I think, Aaron, you texted us. You're like, this is why I can't read contemporary enemies to lovers books. Enemies to lovers. This is like, this is is an enemies to lovers book, A Kingdom of Dreams. It is. They are wanting to murder each other. They oh, are yeah. trying to murder each other. They legitimately hate and cannot trust each other. And that carries through for basically the entire book. The whole thing. She yeah. cuts up all his blankets and kills his horse. I don't really know how much more serious it can get. <laughs> and that's like right off the bat. That's like yeah. in the first three chapters. <laughs> Although she does feel really bad about the horse. Yes, she give, did. I mean, that I was like, I was kind of shocked that the book went there. I was like, oh my God, his trusty war horse. <laughs> I know. I, know. <laughs> I was really upset. I mean, but that's the thing. Okay, so here's the thing with Judith McNaught. And one of the reasons that I wanted to include her was because even if 
this is obviously not going to be a universal opinion, asterisk, footnote, whatever. But like, the thing that she is very good at is making you feel things. Even if you're like, this is not a good situation. You're like, I am having such intense feelings about this. Like, when she killed the horse, even though I could, you know, like, my, what, forward emotional reasoning brain was like she's terrified she's running for her life she has no reason to believe that this guy would ever grant her any kind of clemency not only based on the experience that she has personally had with him but also based on everything that she knows of him which is a curated Mm -hmm, opinion he does it on purpose right yeah so intellectually i can be like i can't be mad at her for accidentally killing the horse where she's running away in fear. And at the same time, I'm like, I want him to slap her. She killed his horse. Even though I would be like, no, hitting is not okay. Hitting is not okay. We need to use other ways to talk about our feelings. (laughs) Like, you know, so the fact that like he didn't take out his anger on her and, uh, and ended up comforting her after that, because she was so upset about the horse, was like helping me to walk back my feelings about that situation, you know? And it's just like the whole book is like that. It's like, oh, yeah. No, ah, there was a section, I was reading it before bed and I had been, had a partic- particularly stressful day and I had to open and close the book like three or four times because I was like, I don't want to. I have to. This is my job. I need a break. Candy Crush. I can't take it anymore. It was like so... I think it was that was the part where like I knew that they were going to have the jousting thing and that she was going to screw her husband over. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do it. And then I had to because it's my job. So (laughs) (laughs) we take take our jobs here very seriously. Yes. So I did finish that Galdang romance novel for for the readers. So it's an awesome enemies to lovers. And I do I do stand by that statement. I think that is the reason that I find contemporary enemies to lovers so unsatisfactory uh, is because they yeah they don't have the stakes they don't have they don't have any stakes no stakes come anywhere close to i want to murder you i mean you're yeah. not wrong or there slash, is a possibility that i will murder you slash like, i just murdered your brother in our dining hall yeah yeah like, sorry oops, oops. my bad <laughs> <laughs> So, These darn war reflexes. Sorry, I, I thought we were in battle. My bad. My bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but so it's a great enemies to lovers. I think it's a great medieval old school romance. I oh, mean, yeah. it has it has all the things. Classic, it really is. But but I mean, we can talk about Royce's. They have both our names too. They both have C Duke titles and our names Royce and Robert why my brain was like broken when I was trying to remember both books I was like I can't do this like R and R the only reason that I remembered Robert was because I'm so sorry for all the Roberts out there Robert isn't like a sex name for me so I was like as soon as it was Robert I was like oh god what am I gonna do with this you know Raider Royce Rip those are like, you know, romance novel names. This one was just Those are so like reasonable names, Ingrid. <laughs> well, take it up with the romance authors, Holly. I have nothing to do with it. It's like that scene in When Harry Met Sally where he's like, you did not have amazing sex with a Sheldon. <laughs> yeah, you'd see my point. And to be fair, 
that did carry out in this book. So <laughs> anyhow, anyway, this is what I think is relevant, though, is that what we're pointing out here is that despite the names, right, we're comparing two books that are pretty wildly different. Yes. Yeah. In a lot of different ways. And it's going to make it really hard. So bringing it back to what we're looking for in Dukes, like what makes a Duke? We're talking about Holly. Isolation, power, and I don't remember what our third metric wealth. was. Wealth. Well, Isolation and power. Isolation, power, and wealth, right? Okay. So I guess Royce does have isolation, power, and wealth. Like, actually a lot. But yeah. the whole time I was reading it, I was like, he's not a Duke archetype. He He's, he's a Highlander a war- almost. He's a Highlander yeah. archetype. I mean, I know he's technically the English one, but he's like a, he's a medieval warrior archetype. Yeah. But although you're right, if if our three criteria are isolation, power, and wealth, he has all of those in spades. But remember that our follow-up question is, could this happen without them being a duke? So I feel like we should talk about what kind of dukes they are first. But then remember, I'm just like keying it up because these books are so different that this is the criteria we're having to discuss. Mm-hmm. What is our our definition of duke? And could this book work if he's not a duke? So... I'm just sticking that in there up front because I think it's going to be a juicy one. Yeah. Well, I mean, Claymore isn't even a duke until halfway. He gets a dukeified halfway through the book. That is a good point. But also, Robert Mm -hmm. doesn't even want to be a duke. So he's not even using his resources. Oh, no, but he is. See, this is why I think Robert is so interesting. Well, that's why I think it's interesting. If we're looking at the discussion... This is why I think it's going to be juicy because we have one who doesn't become a Duke for a while, but he, he does hit all the benchmarks. And then we have one who has all the benchmarks from the jump and has to like learn how to use them. Hmm. I don't know if I agree with that assessment, but I think we should dig in a little bit. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe let's start with our medieval guy. Yeah, let's start with Royce. With Royce. I feel like he's more straightforward. He Well, like we said, he's a, he's a medieval warlord. So this book is set in... 1497. Wow, you remembered that, like, just in your brain. Oh, well, I checked it multiple Aaron times. Just remembers the weirdest thing. Of course, I checked it multiple <laughs> times. I Does do, the check armor it. that they're using in this battle scene check out for the time period? Well, yeah, see, that's the problem. My brain starts going down because they're like, he's like, oh, well, we were just dealing with this war and the pretenders to the throne. And I was like, and we got James and we've got Henry. And I was like, where are are we? Because I'm not a medievalist and I, yeah, I've just never been a medievalist, but I have enough familiarity that I know that things happened in certain points in time. It's like, are we still dealing with the Wars of the Roses? Like, what is happening? So the Wars of the Roses ended before this, the Thirty Years' War was after this, so this is its own little situation that they've got going on. We're like in a transition point between full feudalism and a more modern monarchy. Which puts Royce in an interesting position because there's a note a couple times like he has privileges that other aristocrats do not. Like he is able, Henry has allowed him, he, he allows Royce to have his own standard bearers as opposed to flying the king's standard or having the knights only swear fealty to the king. And so that puts Royce in an extremely privileged position and he's isolated, right? He's at the top. He is leading the army. He is has the king's ear he there is no equal to the wolf right mm-hmm. and right. In the course even before of, he's even before he's a duke right right which yeah. i mean as i have said also in the past which i know you guys are like Aaron, but <laughs> he he is an earl and 
earldoms came before dukedoms and oftentimes had more power than dukedoms. So even though there's a comment in this book that her title is even older than his, and so he, the reason that Royce becomes a duke is, one, because he's being rewarded for doing something that he doesn't want to do, which is marrying Jennifer. But also the king makes a comment that Jennifer's title, because she's a countess in her own right, which is something that is possible in Scotland, which is really possible anywhere as long as the letters patent say that inherit anyway whatever so (laughs) (laughs) so uh he becomes a duke so that he can finally outrank his wife but even the fact that he's an earl in the first place is already an indication of extreme power in in this particular case at this period in history yeah oh i do want to point out one fun historical thing that i noticed is there's the whole pretender thing going on Mm -hmm. and it's the same pretender that the chick was publishing an erotic novel about in the cat sebastian book that we read so oh really that's a good tie-in very nice very nice yes it is See, everything is connected. Here. Everything is connected. The other the other things are he's really wealthy because he's been doing all this, you know, Pillaging. fighting work for the king. <laughs> yeah. So we've got wealth right. isolation and power just right there. Like Right. I mean, and he's isolated not just because he's so powerful, but because of his reputation. It's not just that he's on the top of the heap, it's he's on the top of the heap because he's kind of the king's cleanup guy. Yeah. Right. And so he's isolated socially from other aristocrats like he says he talks several times about going to bed with ladies of the court who are all like either they're afraid of him or they're really titillated by the idea of like having this beastly guy in their bed right and so having jennifer as this point of connection where she doesn't see him in this way where she's not kind of fetishizing him is kind of the first step away from his isolation yeah all right, but I want to bring it back to because this I feel like this is going to be an interesting of course I say that maybe it'll be the most boring conversation ever. What kind of a duke is Royce? What kind of duke is he? Cuz we've talked about how he becomes a duke later in the book that we do feel like he has a slightly more highlander laird type vibe to him, warrior whatever. So what kind of duke is he? So if we're I mean, we don't really have names for like, oh, he's a an impoverished duke or a, we haven't been discussing that. I don't think we have it. Do we? Ha- we don't even have any impoverished dukes. Maybe we'll get there. Not yet. But could he still be who he is without being a duke? I mean, I would argue yes, given that he did everything that he did while he was an earl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what kind of duke is he? So, So I feel like... This might be a roundabout way to get at the question, but here's what his characterization is, is that he's been doing his duty for others for a long time. And we've talked about duty quite mm-hmm. a bit, mm-hmm. right? So he's been he's been doing what he sees as his duty for a long time, and basically now he wants to retire. Mm-hmm. Is he wants to live a nice, quiet, calm, peaceful life? And I'm trying to get it, figure out how this fits into what kind of duke he is, because this is a very different kind of characterization than yes. we've seen in any of the other books. I think that's true. And is it just because it's a medieval book, or is it not really a duke book? Or maybe that's the same thing. Well, I don't know. It's a tough question. I mean, I, I, there, we have established now, we've gotten into the nitty gritty, we had a couple straightforward ones, and now we're getting to the point where 
you know, we're getting some variation on what these different types of dukes are like. So I think you can have medieval dukes. I just think it's a little different. I think Holly's right. I think that we're looking at someone who wants to retire into the comfort of this dukedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, the, the book is called A Kingdom of Dreams, right? And the dream for both of them, right? For She talks about her dream of having a kingdom of her own earlier in the book. And his, although it's not explicitly said, is very similar. He also dreamed of the same thing, of having this kingdom where he was safe and he could, you know, not worry. So he's built this impenetrable fortress where he doesn't have to worry. He, he can relax and he can just knight his knights and be a duke. And so <laughs> what I think is, is that he's kind of settling into, he's done, the, he's done all the work and now he gets to have the power and the wealth and enjoy it for the first time. He just wants to eat good food and sleep and be married. And that's pretty much all he wants. Which is so, perhaps a very dukish way of looking at your future. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like he, he's done all the stuff with the, the wealth and the, and the power stuff. And now he wants the privilege part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He yeah. wants to, he wants to soak up that privilege. And so I do think it's different, but it, it's kind of in there. It's baked into it. And so, yeah, I think that's the kind of Duke he is. He's an, he's a Duke who's, who wants to retire and be a Duke and just be a wealthy man. Hmm. Okay, but so, you know, our question is always, would this work if he weren't a duke? Would this characterization work as he is a soldier who Mm -hmm. wants to just now retire with the spoils of his war, with the spoils of his war and be a wealthy man? And this is this is the one this is the one thing I came here prepared for today. And (laughs) I was like, this is going to be juicy. And I got it. And this is one of the first books that I feel unequivocally this could 100% have been not a duke. He oh, could have yeah. been anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, his, yeah, for me, I think his title is incidental. Like, regardless of, like, Aaron's whole thing about the history of Earls. <laughs> like, it, his, she made his, a good point. She made a really good point about how he had to get this title so that he was higher than his wife. So that is a, a factoid that is relevant. However, if we're going from just the personality and characterization and the plot, like, we're just looking at the overall big picture here, he could have been anything. Yeah. Well, and also I think it's interesting that his home, Claymore, is it's his home because he sieged it and he won. Right. So this is not his ancestral castle, you know, becomes the ancestral castle for the Duke of the Duke of Whitney. Right. Um, So this interesting, fabulous fact. Sorry, just to interject. This book was written after Whitney, my love. Yes. And then Judith McNaught rewrote the ending of Whitney, my love, to then reference this book. This book, yeah. Which she she did, I guess, 10 years after she first published Whitney, my love. I'm not sure what the exact timeline is, but... Fabulous ish. fact. Anyway, but yeah, I, I think of all the books that we've read, Royce is the most clearly not needing to be a duke. Like, his power and privilege and wealth. There are other dukes at court who are not him. They don't have what he has. They're the king doesn't trust them as much. They don't have the lands and wealth. He earned, yeah, what he has. Uh, so being a duke is incidental. Being a duke is being a duke is so that he outranks his wife. Now being an earl was also incidental. Like he got all the stuff that he got because of what he did for the king. Right, and I think that's a really important point that these duke books they have the wealth and the power but they didn't work for it, right? Mm -hmm. They were born with it. And maybe some of them have more wealth and more power because of specific actions they've taken in their life, like he did. But 
but his position is so clearly not from his inheritance. I like I don't even know remember anything about his childhood or his family or his upbringing <laughs> or his or like his background or you know he's an earl but like what's his ancestral home and why is he why is he building his new dynasty in this castle that he raised and then rebuilt rather than his was destroyed okay, all he so, has is a ribbon and two rings that's all he okay, has okay so yeah. okay so his backstory is he's got none is he's got none is his his family home was destroyed probably with his family well he's got his brother Oh, right. Okay, you're right. He has a yeah. brother. Yeah. Okay. But the point is, is that, like, the way that his focus is, like, his loyalty and stuff is, is that he has a found family that just happens to include his brother, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he has the family, but he's looking for the location. Mm. He's been wandering, and he's been alone, and he's been hungry in multiple ways, and now he, he wants to be sated, and he wants to, like, find his place because he doesn't have one. And I'm not really sure that even because of all the everything he's been through, it's almost like it doesn't really matter. Where he came from is over. It's not coming back. Yeah. I also want to point out, like, so we were talking about how all of this stuff could easily be because he he doesn't have to be a duke for that. It's the same with the power and the isolation and the wealth. Like, right, he's wealthy because he was a warrior, not because he has inherited wealth necessarily. He He was isolated because he was a warrior who had a really crazy reputation, not because he's a duke who is the highest echelon of society, although that is later you know like a part of it he does have some isolation from society but a lot of it is because of the lifestyle that he's led and the power you know the power is isolating as well so again it's just the icing Mm -hmm. on the cake here is that i think it's not just that he could the plot could have worked without it it's that him as his entire character could work without him being a duke yeah so we're talking about how his inherited power doesn't matter conversely claremont's inheritance makes all of his decisions for him yeah discuss Discuss. Discuss. agreed (laughs) so i do feel like unfortunately because of the way that and i can't do i cannot do their titles guys because i can't remember which one's which even though i robert robert so it's robert and royce it just is. yes we're on robert now so we've discussed royce and it's kind of i feel like we all kind of are having like i can see the hunger in holly's eyes to just be like and we're done but (laughs) but Robert is also juicy and deserves to be talked about because he's the first Duke that we've had who doesn't just not really dig the gig. He doesn't want to do it at all. He wants all the Dukes to go away. He's done. Yeah, I agree, but I disagree. Like, okay. So here's my take on Robert. I mean, so yes, he wants to abolish the aristocracy. So I'm glad we have a woke Duke in there. He wants to abolish the aristocracy. We got to have at least one, but he also recognizes that you can't just abolish the aristocracy and he has to work within the system. Right. That's true. Right. And so Robert, I thought, was the most fascinating blend of this sense of duty to do the best he could to make things better for people who had less power and wealth than he did. So he has this whole thing going on, but he is simultaneously so privileged and so blind to his yes. own privilege, yes. which He's is so like dukey. so dukey. He's mm-hmm. like the dukiest dukey duke we've read so far. And I will die on that hill. He's just like, right? He's like writing these pamphlets being like, workers, unite, but is like kind of bad at it. Like he's writing these pamphlets, but it's pretty obvious that they're not actually written by a worker. 
and I wouldn't say that that's true. Well, I don't think okay. that it's pretty obvious because the whole thing is Minnie is so smart and she's such a good tactician that she's the one who realizes that it's not. She figures him out. Right. If it were okay, obvious. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's not obvious, although it's made pretty clear that the the law enforcement in this town is corrupt and not very bright. So, okay. Anyway, side note. Okay. So he's doing all this stuff, but, and is like, well, and you know, if I don't tell my half brother, then he'll be protected, but he doesn't think about like, no, obviously other people are going to be hurt by this. Like there are ramifications to your actions just because you can't see them doesn't mean that they're not there. It it makes sense. We just are getting ahead of ourselves. So the yeah, backstory right. is that we begin the story with Robert hiding behind a couch at a party, pretending to smoke a cigarette because he's just thrown a whole bunch of illegal pamphlets outside to like incite workers to organize, basically. And Minnie ends up jumping over the couch behind him and this is how they meet Mm -hmm. but Minnie is hiding as holly said in her one sentence summary because she was ruined essentially as a 12 year old when her backstory was like publicly revealed so she has been living under an assumed name and also we have this corruption issue going on like the reason that robert is present in the town in the first place is because he is aware of some kind of corruption happening and also to make some things right that his father has put very wrong. A lot of things that Robert is focused on in his life is being like the opposite of his father. So mm-hmm. classic, classic bad dad of romance situation. Yes. And also, as Holly pointed out, he is not considering the impact of what his actions are doing. He's not considering, he's not considering other perspectives like the way that Minnie figures it out is because she re- she used revealings to Robert, like, uh, you're not writing this from a worker's perspective. You're writing this from, like, a master's perspective. <laughs> but on top of that, Minnie has a secret and doesn't want it revealed. And having Robert coming in and upsetting things is putting her in jeopardy because her best friend's fiance is, like, the local law enforcement and starts going after Minnie mm-hmm. because he he knows something's not quite right with Minnie and he can't imagine that a duke or any member of the duke's household would engage in these kinds of activities. So it's not just that Robert was trying to protect his own household from his actions by simply not saying anything about them. It's also that he's not considering who outside of his... He's relying on his privilege. So I thought this mm-hmm. was really interesting. He's relying on his privilege as a duke because he knows he can't be prosecuted for writing the pamphlets. So right. he is focused on how to ensure that other people are protected by not telling them, but with no consideration for the fact that somebody could be made to take the fall right, regardless of the truth. Right, exactly. That I think that is what I was trying to get at in my shortened roundabout way. So in terms of the romance, the the conflict between Minnie and Robert begins with fighting over what to do about this movement that Robert is trying to engage in. Minnie's trying to protect herself. Robert's trying to like do something for the people. Like he's trying to be a good duke. Right. But, but like, you know, he's like, I'm going to do something for the people by like helping them organize a labor strike. And like, dude, you're in parliament. Maybe you could just 
like passed laws. Well, that's not re- that's not really. So he's like at the end, isn't it established that he? So he's doing the pamphlets and stuff, but he's he's not just doing it because it's what he believes in. He's doing it because he's trying to solve a mystery. Mm. Right. So like it was a way to like route out information. It was a multi-layered thing. It wasn't like he didn't believe it. He he did believe it. It's not like he was lying through his teeth. It's just that that wasn't really why he was writing the pamphlets. He was doing it to try to shake down some information from people and he couldn't get the information any other way. You're right. You're right. Because he's trying to figure out what's going on with the corruption and like why are so many people being charged with sedition in this one tiny factory town. You're right. So like, how do you figure out why people are being charged with sedition, like do something seditious and see what happens? Right. And he knows he can't really be prosecuted for it. So that was the whole point was that he's using his power in a way to solve this problem. Yeah. I thought this whole book was so interesting because it relies entirely on him using his power that he thinks should not exist. Like, right. <laughs> it is just so good. <laughs> so good. Darn this power. I'm going to go do something crazy with it. Yeah. But it's not even that. It's even stuff like, so they're getting married. They get married part of the way through and it's kind of marriage of convenience and kind of not. And he takes her to Paris for their honeymoon and buys her an all new wardrobe in Paris and gives her a necklace of rubies. And he is like unabashedly using his wealth, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, I have it. So why wouldn't I use it? I mean, at the same time, he's using his wealth. Like he's seems like created a fund for, reparations for people wronged at his father's slash grandfather's like factory so he's using his money for all the privileges for himself but like also for good it was there just so many juxtapositions of like what robert is doing because he is so very much a duke (laughs) but also so so very much yeah so very much a radical (laughs) was great so so what kind of duke is he, though? Like, what kind of duke? Obviously, he's a rebellious duke. Obviously, he doesn't conform to what the duke should be, but he kind of also does, is what we're saying. Yeah. Like, he doesn't well, want think, to, but he does. Well, I think this is why he's so interesting, is because he's both this, like, dutiful, stick-up-his-butt, I'm-gonna-do-the-right-thing-for-the-people-who-rely-on-me kind of duke, and also the... I hate my legacy and I'm going to burn it down mm-hmm. kind of Duke. Uh, I guess he's not a, he's not a Reiki Duke, but yeah, you know, that's true. He's got, he's got he's a virgin Duke. He's a virgin Duke, but he's got two of these like big things. And the virginal thing is a little bit about duty and like not using his power to like force other people to do things. And partially about burning down his legacy since his father was rapey. Mm -hmm. you know i have a quote see if you agree with me there's this quote that i highlighted that is from when minnie is being introduced to robert in the first place and she thinks that he's just some rando that like was Mm -hmm. hiding behind the couch with her because he's so unassuming Mm -hmm. but he's not so she's being introduced to him As he came closer, he caught Minnie's eye once more and gave her a slightly pained smile, one that tugged at some long-hidden memory. 
If Mr. Charingford's agitation hadn't given her a hint, that smile would have convinced her. This man was someone important. It took her a moment to place that curious expression on his face, that small smile paired with eyes that crinkled and something close to chagrin. She'd seen it eight years ago on Willie Jenkins' face. Willie Jenkins had been bigger than all the other boys his age, alarmingly so. At just 15 years of age, he'd been six feet tall and almost 13 stone in weight. He had the strength to fit his size, too. She'd seen him lift his two younger brothers once, one in each hand. Willie Jenkins was big and strong, and the other boys would have been frightened of him were it not for his smile. Mr. Charingford gave an obsequious bow, so low that he almost doubled over. He scarcely choked the words out. Might I present? Mr. Charingford didn't even assume that this man would allow the introduction, seemed to think that it would be perfectly good manners if he said no. By all means, the man said. He met Minnie's gaze. She looked away swiftly. My circle of acquaintance is never so large that it cannot include more young ladies. That apologetic smile again, Willie's smile. It was the one Willie gave when he won at arm wrestling, and he had always won at arm wrestling. It was the one that said, I'm sorry that I am bigger than you and stronger than you. I'm always going to win, but I'll try not to hurt you when I do. It was the smile of a man who knew he possessed considerable strength and found it faintly embarrassing. Yep. I mean, that's him in a nutshell. I'm sorry. I'm always going to win, but I'll try not to hurt you. Yeah. And it's like (laughs) the first. It's like chapter chapter one. It's chapter two. (laughs) Wait, so then, so... I feel like we were already kind of like answering this with subtext, but do you think this book could work if he wasn't a Duke? Like, like with zero? With absolutely no. not. Like that. I mean, like it's not just plot wise. It's like descriptions like that. It's very delicately built detail by detail that like this yeah. guy is a Duke. Even stuff with like, there's a point where Robert threatens the law enforcement guy and he is like, I'll get you replaced. And they both know that it's entirely possible. Like, Robert is not his direct superior, but he mm-hmm. could totally pull the necessary strings to make sure that this guy no longer has a job and somebody else is in there. I mean, it's just, like, peppered through with all these little moments mm-hmm. of the inherent power of Robert's position. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think, okay, we're not arguing about this, really. But this is not our first woke Duke, really. We have Arundel, who was also opposed to the aristocracy that was the cat sebastian mm-hmm. but i think this one works so well so much better <laughs> so mm-hmm. well because it relies almost completely on roberts being a duke yeah and the mm-hmm. power of that position and the ways that he chooses to use that power both knowingly and unknowingly yeah I mean, I agree with everything that Aaron said. I have nothing to add to that. So, so I think I think there's a clear winner here. Yeah, and I'm shocked. I am also shocked. I thought it was going to be so juicy. Alas, no, it's not juicy. I mean, we had a juicy discussion. We are both all juicy books. Agree that it's Royce, right? <laughs> Sorry, Royce. It's Robert. Yeah, I mean, you know, if our parameters were different. Which is, which is a more heart-stopping romance, Ooh, that might be a harder discussion. But yeah. who's Dukier? Like, hands down. Robert, Duke of Claremont. I don't remember your last name, but it doesn't matter. Blaisdell. Whatever. You're right, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. Courtney Milan got this one in the bag. 
Good job, Courtney Milan. I cannot believe my weird gut instinct got this one right because I really thought it was the other one, but fantastic. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up another session of putting up our Dukes. Next time we'll be figuring out which book is going to go up against the Duchess War. Oh my goodness. Probably lose. Let's be real. Like Claremont's (laughs) going to go all the way. No doubt. Okay. So next time we are going to be reading Mr. Cavendish, I presume by Julia Quinn and a Duke by default by Alyssa Cole. So we have our one and only contemporary duke coming up so we'll see if the contemporary dukes can uh, hold their own or not full show notes etc can be found at smutreport.com slash podcast let us know what you're thinking about these dukes if you strongly disagree that claremont is the duke your duke in this matchup we would love to hear what you are thinking and then we'll tell you why you're wrong <laughs> and join us next time when we talk about more dukes keep it smutty folks na 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 smut report <laughs>